Welcome to the Beach Grove United Methodist Church podcast, where you can hear our Sunday morning sermons in audio form and take them wherever you go. A reminder that if you want to watch the entire service, our services are available on our YouTube channel linked in the podcast notes. We would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast so that new sermons come into your feed as soon as they are available, and you can do this using your favorite podcasting app. We would love it if you would help to support the missions and ministries here at Beach Grove through your tithes and your offerings. A donation link is also linked in the notes below. And lastly, find us on Facebook and Instagram to follow along with all the fun things happening at Beach Grove, whether you live in Suffolk, Virginia or not. We hope you enjoyed this week's message, and please don't forget to share it with others. disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. And remember, I am with you always to the end of time. Thank you. Oh, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Please be seated. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, that through your word for us this day, we would continue to learn, to grow, to know more about you, that we may take that love into the world and share it with others. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So today is, uh, the, today is known as Trinity Sunday. Raise your hand if you know what the Trinity is. Okay. Man, gosh, y'all are good. All right. I'm going to go back to seminary and get confused again then. <laughs> so Trinity Sunday, we've, we've concluded this like seasons of busyness. Uh, when you look at the Christian liturgical calendar, it's like the first half is made up of all of these holy seasons. We begin with Advent, then we move to Christmas, then we have this little bit of ordinary time after Epiphany, then we go to Lent, then we go to Easter, and then we celebrate Pentecost. That's like the first half of our Christian year. And we kind of come off of that just exhausted, right? So for ordinary time this year, we're just going to take naps for 20 minutes. All in favor? Yeah. No, but it's this, it's this busy season. We go from one holy celebration to another, one season of preparation to a holy season, to, to then another season of preparation, to then another holy season, and we just do that cycle during the first half of the year. And then we come to the second half of the year, and, and we come to what's called ordinary time. And it's ordinary because it's not extraordinary. Um, it's ordinary because we don't, we don't really have a holy season that leads us in this time. There's nothing to prepare for in this time. But it's this time where we take all of the things that we've done in this holy time between Christmas and Easter and we dive a little bit deeper into the in-betweens. Right? We look at the birth of Jesus and then the death and resurrection of Jesus. And now we look at the life of Jesus. Now we look at the in-between. Now we see the message of Jesus as we can preach it here and now in our contemporary time. We dive into the gospel, and we do that by pretty much not just diving into the gospel that we do today, but diving into all of these little sections of scripture to help us learn more about our faith. 
Our direction is not being guided by one by a season of preparation or a season of celebration, but it's being guided by what we are called to do. And so this ordinary time that we have this year, it, it differs depending on how the year shakes out. We have 25 weeks of ordinary time. And you're probably thinking, oh, dear God, Pastor, are you going to do a 25-week sermon series? No, friends, I'm not that bold. <laughs> I do have that much to say, but I'm not that bold. Now, I'm going to break it down into manageable chunks. But as, we can, but as we begin to work our way through this ordinary time, we see embedded within it these opportunities for, for little celebrations. And they'll be marked by the, the white color on the, on the altar and, and on the pulpit. Because when we go through these long seasons where it's just one week right after another, this green season as we call it, because normally you'll have green up here on the altar, there needs to be something to break up the complacency. To break up and make it feel like you're not going for just 25 straight weeks of this ordinary time without the big celebrations. And so we kind of have the little mini celebrations. And so you may notice that the colors behind me are white. And so we have a little mini celebration this week um, with Trinity Sunday. These special Sundays are denoted by these colors. And so as we move into this time, as we move into this ordinary time, it's like, all right, why do we need to be shaken up from the start? Why do we need to be shaken up from the start? Why do we need this immediacy of something to happen, of something to celebrate, of something to observe? Why don't we just go into green? And then maybe when we're four weeks in and we're already tired of the color green, then we go to Trinity Sunday. Well, like any good shake, you have to do the pre-shaking, right? You have, to get, you have to go ahead and start shaking everything up. We have to go ahead and place ourselves in the context of this season. And so we dive in and look at this manner in which we are sent forth and the experiences that we have. And so we come off this week of Pentecost and we look at the coming of the Spirit and we see the presence of the Spirit that lives and exists in our lives. And we do this joyous celebration knowing that God has established this nature of Christian community, has established this nature of the church around us. And now we come to Trinity Sunday and we see the ways in which God is going to be working through the church, the way that God is going to utilize the church, put God's vision and mission through the church. The way that God exists in the world. And so we come and we try and make things, as we always do as humans, a little bit more complicated. <clears throat> and yet the calling remains the same. And so we come here on Trinity Sunday looking at the one who sends us forth into the world, seeking to understand who they are. Now, many of you probably heard me mention the Trinity last Sunday, and I promised you answers for what the Trinity is, but um, I, I, I don't have any answers. I'm sorry. You know, I remember when I was, um, so it was very early on in the ordination process in the Methodist Church. I, I wasn't even uh, a local pastor yet. I was uh, interviewing in front of my district committee on ministry. I was just I was just trying to get licensed for ministry. I just wanted to be able to serve a church. I was about to graduate seminary, and I'm like, y'all, I, I need a job. <laughs> and they're like, okay, answer some of these questions. And, and one of the questions that they asked me was to explain the Trinity. And I'm like, okay, how long do you have? 
They're like, no, 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 I want you to explain the Trinity like you would explain it for a confirmation class. And I'm like, all right. You see, the Trinity is something difficult. We can, we can stand here and we can say the Trinity is three persons in, in one God, right? We can sit here and we can say that. But, but how does that work? Right. And we come up with all of these great metaphors. Like we say the Trinity is like water. Right. We say the Trinity is like water. It's, the water can be both gas, liquid and solid. They're all water, but they have three separate elements. Well, congratulations. And um, Board of Ordained Ministry, just ignore this part. Um, congratulations. We've all committed a heresy. You see, the thing with the Trinity is we can neither focus too much on the one nor too much on the three. And so when it comes to trying to explain what the Trinity is, we often get lost in the minutia of actually trying to encapsulate truly and fully what the, what the Trinity is. Because at the base of the Trinity is not trying to define what it is like or how or what it is, but the basis of the Trinity is to describe how we experience it. The greatest definition of the Trinity we have is a very long creed written back in the 400s by a man named Athanasius. And he starts the creed, he says that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit is another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal and their majesty co-equal. So has that cleared it up for anybody? I modernize the text just a little bit. You see, there, there's no real way to explain the Trinity because maybe the Trinity doesn't need to be explained. Maybe we've missed the point of what is truly at stake in the Trinity. And I love this quote that I saw in the commentary I read this week from Discipleship Ministries. We describe God as Trinity because that is how God is experienced, not understood. Maybe our role is not to put limitations by trying to explain God. Right? Our job is not to say God is water. Our God is not to say that God is a clover. Our God... Our job is not to say who God is. Our job is to experience God and to bring others into an experience of God. To experience God as the Godhead and to experience God as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Both in unity and in Trinity. Neither dividing them nor unifying them. But experiencing them as a matter of faith. And as we move through this nature of how we experience God in Trinity and how we experience God in unity, we begin to see that there is no need to explain it. That just as we do with a lot of other things in our faith, sometimes our human language just fails to encapsulate the glory, the majesty, the divinity of what is actually happening. And about eight minutes into a sermon... I have yet to preach the gospel. But you see, when we begin to move ourselves towards an experience of who God is, we begin to see that God calls us to these amazing things through the ministry and the work of Jesus Christ. 
that in the manner of creation, we have been put on this earth to live, to love, and to serve those all around us. And empowered through the nature of the Holy Spirit, we are led forth into community. And so what happens? What does Jesus do in recognizing this triune nature of who God is? Jesus leaves his disciples with one final command as they begin to go forth into their ministry. Right? Jesus tells them, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always. Right? For, for centuries, for, for millennia, this has been the mission of the church. Any denomination that has popped up, any group of Christians that come together, when they begin to talk about mission, this is the first verse they go to. Even in the United Methodist Church, when we look at the mission of the United Methodist Church to make disciples for Jesus Christ, for the transformation of the world, that mission stems from the Great Commission. And when we begin to break it down, we see not just the presence of God. We see not just an understanding of who God is, but even more so, even more importantly, we see an experience of how we are called to live into our faith. Right? These verses form the basis of how we interact with the world. Of how we interact with each other, how we interact with all of those around us. And here's the thing, people. Okay, we exist in a time where not just Christianity, but religion in general has a negative connotation with it. Right. We see people identify as spiritual, but not religious. They believe that there's something out there, but they don't know what it is. They don't know who it is. They or they're disillusioned with religion because of the because of the manner that religion has used and abused them. Or they're disillusioned with religion because of how they perceive religion. Now, we cannot necessarily often change that. But maybe we can be the good that we are called to be. Because when many are pushed to write about what they believe, all these spiritual but not religious people, it's interesting. Um, the Barna group did a study, and when they had people write out what they believe, it looks very similar to Christianity. And then all we do here in the church is complain that nobody is here. Right? We, we, we don't, there sometimes is a disconnect against actually going and doing and living. Or we have this whole swath of humanity that says, I'm not Christian. Or even sometimes that they've been hurt and harmed by the church. And then we as the church, and we're about to do it in a couple of weeks, unfortunately, we're going to gather together as great United Methodists in Virginia, and we're going to sit there, and we're going to look at statistics, and we're going to say, oh, look, the numbers have gone down. What are we going to do? We're going to complain that the numbers have gone down. And then some person is going to stand up and say, well, we need to bring more people into the church, to which I will sarcastically respond, great, show me how. Because I know that the way to bring more people is to truly live into our experience of who God is and who God calls us to be. And you may be saying right now, well, pastor, that seems very simple. To which I respond, well, yeah. Do we complicate things sometimes? Maybe just a little bit. 
Do we misread sometimes and think that the goal of what we are trying to accomplish is different than what we've actually been called to do? Because a lot of times when I see people reading this passage, they think the mission of the church is to convert souls, saving them from the evils and fires of hell. Well, friends, the evils of hell are all around us right now. They plague our world. They tell us that God's perfect manner of love and creation is unattainable. They teach us to devalue people. They, they, they impart upon us this nature of, hatredism, of hatred and judgmentalism. They tell them that God is not worth believing in because how could God truly love each and every one of us? And yet, what is our calling? Our calling is to go and to be disciples. To go and be disciples. We are called to teach others to obey what God has commanded us to do through Jesus Christ. And yet sometimes we don't even listen to the very words that Christ shares with us. We are being called to live by the triune God's understanding of life, to be led by grace and transformation, to be led by life and peace and mercy. <clears throat> and just like happens in ordinary time, we have become complacent in our faith. We have become complacent because we don't get shaken up enough. We don't get shaken up and we get comfortable right here thinking that people need to come to us, thinking that, that they have to do all the work, that they need to repent, that they need to, for, that they need to forgive us, that they need to do all the work. And yet, when we look at how we experience God, we experience a God that does a lot of the work. We experience a God that loves us. We experience a God that forgives us unconditionally. We experience a God who brings us to repentance. We experience a God who offers grace each and every moment And then we look here at what Jesus' final command to his disciples are. And we see Jesus tell them to go, therefore, and make disciples. Friends, if we want, <clears throat> if we want to build the kingdom, I mentioned this before, we have to leave these walls. We have to do the work. And we have to get out of this nature that we are converting souls. We have to live as if God has truly transformed us. As we have to live as Jesus lived, as Jesus shows us how to live. And then they come into the fold. They feel welcomed by God. You see, we so badly want to jump the gun on some of these things. We so badly want to say, go therefore and baptize people so that they will be disciples. But what we don't realize is that Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Jesus Christ. I mean, if we're going to take that order literally, then we need to go out and live in community with folks, helping them to know and understand who God is. Because it is not us, it is not individuals who do the act in baptism, it is God who imparts upon us the grace, wisdom, and mercy within the waters of baptism. And so when we begin to unpack and look at what our job is, we go out and we make disciples, we teach people, we help them understand who God is. 
Because one of the things we can't do is force people to come in and think that they need this in order to be saved, in order to be uh, set free, in order to be any of these things. What we have to do is teach them about a God who loves them unconditionally. A God who came down to earth in the form of Jesus Christ and offered ministry, teaching, healing, understanding, and then ultimately sacrificed himself so that we would know and understand what it means to be forgiven And then we believe in a God in the form of the Holy Spirit who comes forth to us, who fills us with life and light, and who gives each and every day so that we can know who God is. And when they learn about that, friends, I can tell you that these people, hopefully, if we've done it in a way that embodies the nature of God, we do it in a way that it is going to be their decision for God to continue to work in their lives, for their eyes to be opened. When we experience God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's meant to be transformative. It's meant to work within us and within our community. And with that, it pushes us to go. To be transformed is an understanding of what God has done for us. And it's a desire for others to experience the God that we have fallen in love with. That we have acknowledged the ways in which God has worked in our lives. And we so cherish the way that God has worked in our lives that we seek for, th- for others to know that God is working in their lives as well. Baptism, when we come forward from there, is more than just accepting God into your life. It's more than just making a decision. Baptism is a covenant. Baptism is a covenant where we come forward to the waters and we say, God, I see the work that you have been doing in my life since the very moment that I have been created. And it's a covenant to then live as a disciple of the church. We look at baptism as a means of engaging and connecting with God, but the problem is, is it's not just a snap decision. It's an acknowledgement of the work that God has been doing within each and every one of us. And it's something that says, God, I want to know, I want to live into, I want to make this covenant with you to live in your presence forever and for always. Sometimes it seems like we can get so lost in trying to define God. We can get so lost in trying to say that God is this, this, and this. that we miss the very basic nature of not defining God, but experiencing God. And friends, the words words will come. The words, the language of God will come. I mean, I'm not saying you're ultimately going to be able to define all of this stuff. I have a seminary professor who wrote a three-volume masterpiece on the Trinity, and he still isn't done. You'll find the language to be able to define who God is to you, how you experience God. As we continue to go forward, as we move into this ordinary time, we are reminded of our own call to go. 
Right? And before we can make disciples, we have to learn to be disciples. And so as we learn to be disciples, we go out and we continue to share and to show others the love of God that exists and is embedded within each and every one of our lives. We rest in God. We exist in God. We show God that oftentimes the manner in which folks have experienced God in the past is not so boxed in. It's not so limited. But when we allow others to experience God, instead of trying to define who God is, we give others the opportunity to truly experience what God offers to them. We change the understanding of how the world sees God. But at first of all, it reminds us to go. Because the more that we stay here, the more that we box ourselves in, the more that we think that others should come, are just going to come to us, friends. I have been trying that for nine years to just, Lord, just please, please bring them to us. I mean, it's, we, we get some. <laughs> but I think we get some because people have gone out and they've brought people with them. We are called to go. To go and to share how God has so impacted us. Share, share our experience of the Trinity. Share our experience of God. And show others who God is through that witness and ministry. Amen.